All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe I will. <laughs> All right. We can turn that down just a little bit, brother. We'll get it kind of situated. I forgot to turn it on when I came up here. That's good. All right. Acts chapter 7 again. Acts chapter 7. I uh, talked to uh, Glenn right before church tonight and uh, had seen Sandy last uh, yesterday and she had had some trouble. Some of you were aware that her blood count was very low. She was receiving a number of, a number of units of blood. And uh, while we were there last night, uh, Sherry and I, they, they gave her her last unit of blood. And, of course, uh, you know, the Lord uh, heard our prayers and uh, your prayers. And as of today, for the last 24 hours now, she's been doing just fine. So uh, she's back on her feet again, walking around. She's got her strength back. They claim the bleeding has stopped. Uh, and so continue to pray for her as they're going to uh, keep her another couple of days just to make sure that that doesn't uh, start up again. And if in those next few days things look good, they'll send her home. And uh, as she put it, the surgery wasn't a big deal at all, so therefore she's really excited about getting home. She said, I'd already be up and about, and I'd already be in church if it wasn't for the fact that I lost my blood count. But uh, she was pretty bad there for a little bit. And uh, yet she's uh, rebounding wonderfully. We're just thanking the Lord for his work in her life and in her body. Well, again, continue to pray for Sister Bobby. And uh, she hurt her elbow. And we're not sure how badly it is yet, but uh, it may or may not be bad. We just, uh, we're praying that it won't be and that it'll be something she can work through and deal with. But, boy, that's difficult. And so we'll be praying for her. And, of course, uh, we certainly want to see her well soon. She's pretty valuable around here, obviously. All right, Acts chapter 7, uh, in verse uh, 54, we've already been dealing with Stephen, and uh, we're going to go ahead and, and, and continue in Acts chapter 7. All right, um, verse 54, we read, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. That's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? They gnashed on him with their teeth. You know, what do you think that means, you know? Kind of like they gnawed on him, maybe, or, you know, kind of like you do a steak bone, you know, a little bit of, and really, isn't that something? Mashed on him. That's, that's amazing. I mean, that's, they're biting Stephen even. I mean, they're really upset here. They're really upset. You ever been so mad, you know, you just kind of, just, you know what I mean? I've never been that way. I was just wondering if you had. In this case, they were pretty upset, obviously, if they were gnashing on him. But nonetheless, it goes on, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of, the, of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. I, I think that's interesting, too, isn't it? They... It says they stopped their ears. What do you think they did there, you know? You know, little kids, you know? La, 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 la. You know, you just kind of get an image in your head, you know? I don't know what they did. I don't know if they st stuck something in their ears, if they held their ears, if they just yelled louder so they couldn't hear. I, but they stopped there. They wouldn't listen, that's for sure. They didn't want to hear it, did they? It goes on to say, And they cast him out of the city, verse 58, and stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Again, we noted uh, throughout these last few opportunities we had to talk about Stephen that they had uh, brought up some false charges, drummed up charges. Of course, uh, Stephen's only real guilty, uh, only real charge would have been that he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he believed in the resurrected Savior, that he stood upon the Word of God. That'd be the only real thing that they could have condemned him for. But, of course, they, as the Bible says, suborned men to come in and basically lie about him. They, they went ahead and created some falsehoods and said that he had blasphemed God, that he had sought to even, I'm sure, change the way the government was being run. He was a real problem and a real threat. Nonetheless, they ultimately stone him. We noted his qualifications. We said that he was an amazing man, to say the least, a very spiritual man, filled with the Holy Ghost. He's the kind of man that the 20th century or 21st century church, I should say, needs today. A man who's walking with God, a man who has power with God, men who love the Lord Jesus Christ with their heart, but exhibit that love with their hands. And so we see this tremendous servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We noted his participation, as we said, he was involved in the work. He, as the Bible says, was Christ, he was the workmanship, his work, he was workmanship, Christ's workmanship. And he was ordained to do some things for God. And he followed through with his commission. And he did exactly what he was told. And boy, I'll tell you what, God used him in a mighty way. And again, all of us, of course, are called of the Lord. I don't care if you're not a pastor or you're not the deacon or you're not the trustee or you're not the Sunday school teacher. You're still called a heavenly calling. You still have a high calling. You still are a Christian. And you have a responsibility to Christ to honor Him and to glorify Him. I think we forget that. See, what we were before we got saved is not who we are. So therefore, the very goals and the, the, the uh, uh, I guess, uh, dreams that we had are no longer the goals and dreams we ought to have. That means that the desires we had for maybe this or that in our, our future shouldn't be necessarily the same goals and desires or the same objectives that we now possess. It, everything ought to be different now that we're children of God. All of a sudden now, it's not as important how big our bank account is as much as it's important whether or not we please Christ. It's not as important whether my job pays me well as it is whether or not I'm walking in the Spirit. All of a sudden, my interest changes. My purpose changes. My purpose is no longer just to provide for my family or just to have a good life or to take care of myself. Now it's to provide for the things of God and to reach others with the gospel and to make sure that the church doors are open too. Because we realize there's a legacy we're to leave behind. A legacy of a spiritual legacy. It's not enough just to raise my children to be good citizens in society. Now I've got to raise them to be good citizens of heaven. Because I'm no longer just a man. I'm the child of God. My purpose has changed because my person has changed. I'm a new creature now. 
And so if my desire and my goals were just to get an education so I could have a good job, that may automatically change immediately. All of a sudden now, that doesn't take precedence on whether or not I ought to be in God's house or living for Jesus Christ. That's more important than any objective and goal that I have is to give my best, my all to Him because He gave me His all. Sadly, it seems today in our culture, and again, it has nothing to do with the message, but I just feel like talking about it. I'm concerned today because when people come to Christ, they don't, they don't see a need for change in their life. They don't realize that they are demanded. It's a, it is not a, uh, an option for the believer. If you are not trying to honor God, if you don't understand that that's your purpose now, you need to be taught that, and then you need to begin to live that. I mean, it, it, it's, everything's different. I mean, why did you live? And what was your purpose? And what were your goals before you were saved? How did those change once you invited Christ in your life? You say, they haven't changed a bit. Well, then there's something wrong. Because God intends for those things to change. As you read through the Word of God, He says that we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. He now has a different purpose for us. And He has the right, because He's purchased us with His own blood, to tell us what that purpose is. We're to pursue His interests. And we're to pursue His purpose for our life. Because it's His to have and to hold and to use as He chooses and pleases. We've seen His generation, too. Boy, Stephen lived in an interesting generation. I mean, they're gnawing on Him. I mean, they're stopping their ears. They don't want to listen to a thing He has to say and they're so mad at Him. They're biting him and they're ultimately dragging him out of the city and stoning him and killing him because of his belief and his faith in Christ. I want to continue now and I want to note a couple of things. Let's note tonight his proclamation. We've already noted, I said, his qualifications, his participation, his generation, but let's note his proclamation. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through 53, we read what he proclaimed. To these. Again, understand these are the religious leaders of their day. And listen to what he says to them. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. He didn't say it quite like I said it. He said it much nicer, I'm sure. Well, I mean that. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of it. Sometimes I think that we get the idea that every time a man speaks in the Bible, he's ripping people to pieces. You don't have to say that one too tough to get your point across. I can imagine Stephen's up there preaching. He's going, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. And they went, I mean, he wasn't getting that, ye stiff nut. He didn't have to do that. I don't know, maybe he pointed his finger, ye stiff nut. I don't know that he had to do that either. All I know is, is that those very words had to cut to their heart because they didn't like it. Sometimes I think we get the idea, unless we're mean and nasty to people when we share the gospel, that we haven't done a good job of it. I want to encourage you to be kind to people. They don't, have, they don't know any better. 
They're just doing what comes natural. Let's just hope that it's no longer natural for us. But we need to share that truth. And sometimes we're going to have to say some pretty tough things. And even in preaching, sometimes we have to nail it and we've got to get kind of make the point. And as we're going to see in just a few moments, it's not always a nice thing to have to do, but it is a prerequisite in the faith at times. We'll see some of that in a moment. But he made sure, he said, he goes on to say, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? They have slain them which shewed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. What did he just call those people? Murderers. Man, I mean, these are religious leaders. These are the ones that stand before the people and tout their holiness. I mean, these were the ones that at one point would wear blinders on their eyes so that they would not see anything that would cause them to lust. And so they walked through the streets blindly at times for fear that they may see something that would draw their attention away from God and cause them to lust. Hey, hold on. That goes a little further than most of us even. But they weren't serving the right God. They had failed to recognize that Jesus Christ was God in flesh. And as a result of the fact, they worshipped the God of the Old Testament instead of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the New. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ. Not even Jehovah God can save you. That name cannot save. Only Jesus Christ can. To reject Christ is to reject salvation. To say I love God, but I don't trust and receive Christ is an oxymoron. Proving that we're simply ignorant of the truth often. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right. Some of you are going, what? And it's the first time you've been listening ever since you sat down. No, I'm just... <laughs> but boy, we, I mean to tell you, he had a message, didn't he? Boy, it was a scathing message. A scathing message. He goes on to say, Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it? Hey, can you imagine if somebody walked in today and said to you, went to you and said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Ghost, just like your dad and your mama did. You go, You guys, not only that, but you're a murderer. You killed the very one that could save you in the world. And you receive the law. You have the Word of God sitting right in front of you. But you don't even keep it. And someone might be in the audience and would say, Hey, listen, who do you think you are? I go to church three times a week. I read my Bible and pray. I'm even teaching it. And you're telling me I'm responsible for murdering Jesus? I'm responsible for rejecting the Word of God. You're saying that's me and that my parents were like that? Don't, get, don't talk about my mama that way. You know what I mean? Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. That was, those were some, that was a difficult message to swallow. Because these people were already pumped. 
uh, already somewhat pompous. They were already very, very uh, self-righteous, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a tough one. What we learn really is, as you go back to the Old Testament, that the message of the prophets has often been one of gloom and doom. Whether it was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, or maybe one of the other prophets, the message was often the same. It was God is not pleased with you, and as a result, He's going to punish you. Get right with God and then beg for His mercy. He said, but wait a second, there's a lot of prophecies in there about the second coming. I know. And there were prophecies about the fact that God was going to gather His children again and that He was ultimately going to exalt Israel again among the nations. No doubt about it. God did always try to leave them with hope. But let me tell you something. He couldn't give them hope unless they had already become humble. There was no hope until humility had struck to their heart and put them on their knees, begging for forgiveness and ultimately for the mercy of God. And again, in our culture, in our generation, our society in which we live, and in the church and the age in which we live, it seems today that we're not ashamed of anything. We live however we choose and talk however we want and do whatever we want and, 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 and go wherever we want. We embrace the philosophies of the world often, the ideologies of our culture, and somehow we feel that God is obligated and responsible to bless us. But once again, a true preacher and a true man of God is going to have to come down and say, God is not pleased with you. And as a result, He must punish you. Get right with God. And beg for His mercy. And very few people want to hear that message, do they? Who do you think you are? Talking to me that way. So who died and made you God? Right? And that's what people think. Hey, God's the only one that can judge me. You have no right to judge me. Child of God, that's not true. You didn't read the Bible. Judgment begins at the house of God, it says. You don't have a right to judge a man's heart, whether he knows Christ or not. But you have every right, as a believer, to judge your own life and to judge even those... What what do you do? Uh, I live however I want, do whatever I want. Is that what you're saying? It's okay? You say, well, no, you can't. But you can Of course not. We understand that. Judgment begins at the house of God. There's some things that God requires of His people. There's a standard of holiness and there's a level of maturity that God desires for each of us. I understand we continue to grow in the faith and we forever become more separated and sanctified under the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we do have to live up to some moral standard. Because we are free and because we have grace in our lives doesn't mean that we have liberty to do whatever we choose. It's not license. I know we're free to serve God. That's called liberty. But we're not, we don't have a license to sin. And here's Stephen. I mean, he's just, he's laying them out. Tearing them up. 
we may be living in the 21st century and what we call the information age, but the message hasn't changed, has it? Sin is still wreaking havoc in lives and in families. It's still damning people to hell. And the only hope is still the same one that they rejected back in Stephen's day, Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul addresses the method and the message that his son in the faith, Timothy, is to share with the people. Look, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy representing the pastor here. He is a pastor. And now Paul, his father in the faith, so to speak, is going to encourage him and instruct him and teach him something that will make him the preacher that he's supposed to be on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ in the house of God. That's what he says here in 2 Timothy 4. I charge thee, there, uh, charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Now he's got a charge now. He knows he charged him. He's commissioning him. He's giving him some marching orders. He says, preach the word. I do want to say this. And I think it's important to understand this. Because of the direction that the church is moving today, the word preach is being dismissed. We're losing it. See, in the Bible, God is very specific. He uses words to describe things. If something is the same, He usually uses the same word. If it's different, He uses two different words. There is a difference between preach and teach. No preacher, no bishop, nobody like Timothy is fulfilling his job unless he preaches the Word. He can be a tremendous teacher, but he's not fulfilling the purpose that God has for his life in full unless he preaches. Because he is commissioned, and as the Bible says here, charged, that he preach the Word. Not preach the culture, not preach on felt needs, but preach the Word of God. He goes on to say this, Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Notice again, here he's to preach... Yes, with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? Because there'll be a time when uh, time the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but instead heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Whoa, 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 whoa! What word did he use? Having what? Teachers. Heap to themselves preachers? No, not preachers, but teachers. I mean, that's a prophecy there. He's telling us there'll come a day and an age when people will not want to hear the thunder of a preacher. They'll not want to have to deal with the result of a message that is preached that says, I've given you the truth now. I've given you the information that you need to make an informed decision about Jesus Christ in your life. And because I preached it to you, I'm saying, all right, it's time to make a decision. 
Will or won't you obey God's Word? Will or won't you follow Jesus Christ? Will or won't you be faithful to the Word of God? The teacher can teach all day long, share tremendous truths, and open up the minds and hearts of people, no doubt, and understandably so. However, in the last days, in those final days, there will be a time when people will not want to hear the preaching of the Word of God, but instead heap to themselves. Heap. You ever have a heap of fries? I like them. <laughs> Just heap them up high. You know, pile them deep and heap them up. They're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I'll guarantee you Stephen wasn't just a teacher. I believe Stephen taught. Don't misunderstand me. But this man preached. Because in the end, they knew what he was saying. It's time to make a decision. Are you going to put away that filth and that sin and that past and start walking on behalf of Christ as of today? And they said, we don't want to hear it. You be quiet right now. Boy, they started gnawing on him and dragging him out to be stoned. Interestingly enough, we talk about the prophet of old. Well, the New Testament preacher is not much different. His message isn't much different. He's to reprove, the Bible says. That means to convince those in error as to doctrine. You got, you, you, he said, reprove those that are, are not figuring it out, that don't get it. I mean, the idea is that he'll do it fearlessly by exposing the real nature of sin, never hiding things from the people or, or hiding them from themselves. Because, see, the truth is, is that you don't want the truth sometimes, and neither do I. Sometimes we're much more comfortable in the position we are, where we're at in our Christian life. Maybe our relationship isn't Christ-honoring between us and our husband, but you know what? That's nobody's business but mine. Maybe my relationship with my children isn't what it ought to be. Or maybe I'm harboring some bitterness or envy or strife. Hey, you know what? That's nobody's business as long as I can wear a smile. Nobody has to know any different. And you know what? The preacher don't have to be preaching at me about that stuff. Yes, he does. Because he, the Bible says, is to reprove. He's to help you see how you are failing to live up to the truth. Then he goes on to say that we must rebuke. He says, rebuke, and what he's saying is rebuke the unruly or immoral or, or, or immoral lifestyles. I mean, those that are unruly, those that are immoral are to be rebuked. Why? Because evil soon spreads, doesn't it? If it's not exposed... If it's not condemned immediately, it just seems to spread like wildfire. That's getting harder and harder as a pastor. I'm telling you, that's a tough one. Because people don't believe that they should be held accountable for anything they do. 
Can you imagine? If I, and, and listen, and I'm going to be honest with you, according to this book, this book right here, I could do this if I wanted to. Now listen to me. If I wanted to, I could have one of the staff members keep track of everybody's Facebook. And what I mean by that is, they could watch the account, see how what people are saying out there in the public eye. What they're saying publicly about the church, publicly about their teachers, publicly about their pastor. The truth is, anybody can do that today because when you say something on Facebook, it's public. But get this. By rights, and I'm probably wrong because I don't make sure things aren't going on sometimes. I'm a little bit too lenient. I'm a little bit too gracious probably. I'm just a little bit too concerned that I might just step on too many toes. I have a tendency, I don't want to even know what people are saying because I don't want to have to address it. It's sad today. It's pitiful. Listen, we're accountable for our life and for our lips. It's sad, you know, we, we used to hear, you know, one day, you know, every idle word will be, be brought up at the throne. There's a lot of idle words right now being cast around in this thing we call social networking. Texts and emails, things that really are not private, folks. You need to be careful what you're saying and what you're writing and what you're typing. Because in reality, you've just opened up the eyes of others of who you really are. And you know what that does? That reflects very poorly on Jesus Christ and on Community Baptist Temple and even on your pastor because people assume I know everything that's going on. And when you're up there singing in that choir, after you just got done spreading some superlatives in the old uh, Facebook account, or you just got done talking about how you can't stand so-and-so, and you just got done telling people about how you just went out and did such and such, you bring a black eye to Jesus Christ, to this church, and to your pastor. And let me tell you something. It's not just about my reputation. It's not just about this church's reputation. And it's not just about God's reputation either. It reflects poorly on you and your family. We are responsible for what we say and do in this life. And I understand we are all prone to make horrible mistakes and even sin against God and man. But why in the world don't we learn after a while? Stephen, man, I mean, he starts to preach it. I mean, he, he's reproving, he's rebuking. And, and then finally, we're going to see that as a preacher, we're to exhort too. But hold on, it seems like the first two are pretty negative to me. I'm going to show you where you're wrong, and then I'm going to fix the blame where it belongs. See, I'm going to say, you, you know what, you don't understand the truth. Let me share the truth with you. You're really kind of going off in the wrong direction. Let me, let me reprove you. But then I go, hold on, hold on, I've got to blame you for something. You are, you are, you are sinning against God, against man. I've got to rebuke you now. Man, I'll tell you what, those are hard things to handle sometimes. Then there's the last part. See, two out of three is not too great. Two out of three is not real positive. Now, it can be positive, don't misunderstand me, and it is. All things work together for good, and we ought to be grateful when our sin is exposed to someone that's gracious enough to come to us 
privately and not go to everybody else. <laughs> I'd much rather, if you think i got a problem, come to me than go to everybody else and tell them about my problem that probably I don't really have. You just think I do. Do you understand where I'm going with that? Because you know what? We're all in the same boat. You say, uh-oh, who did it? Nobody. But I certainly want to cover my bases before it happens. That's called being wise, I guess, just saying let's deal with it before it happens so it don't happen. Reprove, rebuke, and then finally exhort. Exhort has to do with encouraging and teaching with all long-suffering. Again, we ought to have a desire to do that. And that's what the Bible expects of His men, God's men, to do these things. I mean, we're to say, hey, listen, don't continue in sin, but instead choose to lead a better life, a more productive life, a blessed life. Let me exhort you and teach you how to have a successful Christian life. Then we run to number five. Let's look at his tribulation. We're going to rush through this a little bit. I want to take you back to history for just a moment. I'm going to give you a little history lesson. But in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Acts 7, 57 and 58 goes on to say, And they cried with a loud voice and stopped theirs and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. When's the last time that happened to you? Never did, did it? Never happened to me. I'm glad. I'm very glad. But I will say this, when a person takes a stand for Jesus Christ by believing, obeying, and sharing God's Word, he or she will stand out among those in darkness. There's no doubt about it. You're going to stand out. <clears throat> now listen, we've been very blessed in America, haven't we? We've been blessed with the freedom to worship God according to our conscience. Oh, I know it's not a perfect nation we live in, but we've got a ton of freedom compared to most. I understand they're trying to strip some of those freedoms away, but hold on. We have had some tremendous years of success and prosperity and freedom as Americans. <clears throat> but throughout history, it hasn't always been the case. See, the Jewish believers were persecuted and martyred by Judaism to start with. I mean, those Jewish believers that came to Christ, they, they were being persecuted even martyred by their own families and friends, those that said that they were in this together just a few years before. And then all of a sudden things began to change somewhat, and, and they started getting it from both ends. They were getting it from the Jews, the Judaizers, and, and then they were also getting it from pagan Rome. <clears throat> and now pagan Rome thought they were a threat to their culture and their society and their government. And boy, they started persecuting and, and killing as well. So now they're being persecuted and martyred by Judaism and, the, and pagan Rome. But then as Christianity kind of marched on, it would be those who called themselves Christians who would ultimately shed the blood of true believers. This is where it got very confusing for people. And it still is confusing for most. And by the way, if you would ever learn anything about history, church history, 
you'd understand why it's important that these churches leave Baptist on their signs instead of taking them all down for this non-denominational stuff. People died so we had the freedom to exercise the religion we do. They were called Anabaptists. They weren't called New Evangelicals. Sorry, but I did say it. I'm a little bit fed up with Baptists building those churches. The next generation, there won't be people building those churches anymore. And they're going to be found out for what they are. Empty and spiritless. Simply flesh in most cases. Once the generation of the godly move on, I'm talking to heaven, there'll be nothing behind it. It's too fleshly and it's too worldly. There's not enough separation being taught and trained in the children's lives to maintain any sense of true faith and religion after this next generation goes off the scene. Most of the people that are building these churches came out of Baptist churches or movements and been saved by a Baptist preacher or a Baptist... What do you want to call yourselves? People. Parishioner sounds ridiculous to me. Sounds totally ridiculous. Parishioners. Where came up with that word? Parishioners. Does that sound crazy or what? But anyway, oh, when they call you, actually you are, you're actually giving units. You realize that? In some of these books now that talk about church growth, you're considered giving units. Because you give money to the church, you're a giving unit. Aren't you glad that your value is appreciated? <laughs> yeah, I've read a few of these books. It's interesting, isn't it? But anyway, as Christianity moved on, it was those that called themselves Christians who shed the blood of the true believer. And listen, they were ruthlessly and inhumanely attacked. And they were attacked. Those that were attacked were those who would not join. Here we go now. I'm not throwing nobody under the bus. I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. They were attacked if they did not join the Catholic Church. If they didn't adhere to their edicts, they didn't adhere to their councils, they were identified as heretics and enemies of the cross. And for that, they were maimed, murdered, and massacred in the name of religion. That's as simple as I can put it. If you study church history, you'll find that to be the case. Nobody, nobody, nobody will deny that. Even, even the Pope won't. He can't. It's, it's written history. Following the Dark Ages, Martin Luther opposed the Catholic Church and its authority and even its doctrine to some degree. He pointed to the corruption that had weaved its way into the Jesuit order as well as the priesthood itself. <clears throat> he, along with other reformers, had began to try and reform the Catholic Church. They tried to change it. Try to get it back to its grassroots. Back to Jesus Christ in grace. Because they understood that it became a system of works. So, but their efforts were futile. And as a result, they, uh, many people began to depart from the Catholic Church. They exited it. Began to see groups rise up. And ultimately, we know some of them as Presbyterian and Methodist. Some of those kinds of churches. We call them Protestant. By the way, Baptists are not Protestant. Because Baptists never came out of the Catholic Church. We were never part of it. 
We didn't need reformed. We had been underground and we'd been living our lives the way they always have from the New Testament all the way through, faithful to the Word of God and letting it be our rule and practice. That's why we didn't join groups that did not follow and adhere to this book, who said that you had to be baptized to be saved, who said you had to, that communion was literally taking the literal body and the literal flesh and blood of Jesus Christ into yourself. We didn't believe that. We understood that was not the case. So they rebaptized, and as a result of that, they were called Anabaptists. But nonetheless, those Anabaptists, as these efforts were made to try to reform and ultimately come apart or away from the church, they offered their assistance at first. But it wasn't long before the reformers themselves, even Martin Luther, mind you, was disenchanted with them, and he joined in persecuting them. Martin Luther would rather have seen an Anabaptist dead. than to see a Catholic church closed. Listen, that may not sound, you may not think that because you've heard so many wonderful things about Martin Luther, but he was one of the ones that murdered true believers. It's just crazy. If you read it, it's amazing what happened. The Anabaptists sought freedom of religion. You know, they were scattered all throughout Europe, throughout the Dark Ages, and even now they were, especially up in Germany and so forth. Here they were, all these Anabaptists. And then came the pilgrims. In search of a new land offering prosperity and religious freedom. It wasn't long, however, that these men and women who journeyed across the Atlantic in search of religious freedom established their own settlements and colonies that denied the very freedoms to others that they themselves left England in search of. See, men and women in the United States before it was called America, before it was one nation under God, let's hope that never changes. Even if the heart has changed, may the money never change. May we still claim to be under God, even if we're not. I'd rather at least be on my money. But these men and women were ostracized. They were banished. They were even beaten for their faith. And those who sought refuge in these settlements and cities, they were required to worship as that settlement worshipped. Whatever their faith was, you had to believe that way. And then you had to tithe and give to the church that was represented in that community. Everybody went to church. Everybody paid their tithes there. Everybody got on board. Or you were ostracized. You were banished. You were beaten and even at times, killed. That was the America before the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And that's why the Founding Fathers fought so vehemently for a Bill of Rights that gave us freedom of religion. <clears throat> now, it hasn't been but the last 230 years that being a Bible believer has been comfortable, at least in the USA. See, other countries are still denying the, rights of belie- denying the rights of these believers. If you lived in certain countries, you could be murdered, put on trial, thrown in prison. You could have your property confiscated and taken away from you. You could have your wife and children treated like dogs simply because you claim to be a child of God or a Christian. 
Religious freedom is not very widespread. And it hasn't been the norm throughout history, to say the least. And therefore we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We live in this little box. Americans, nobody else, Americans have lived in this little box for 230 years that has protected us from religious persecution. The arrows of Satan and the arrows of other religions have come down upon us, but it's reflected off of that Bill of Rights and the freedoms that have been guaranteed to each of us. But when the Bible says what it says here in the book of 2 Timothy, I'll guarantee you it's much better understood in Muslim countries or in Catholic-dominated countries than it is in America. In America, we do not understand what it is to truly be persecuted for our faith yet. Stephen's account is normal around the world today. Except in America. And we've been so sheltered that we somehow think that the rest of the world has it as easy as we do. But when the Bible talks about living for God, it's talking about taking a stand in a place where you can lose your life for it. And that is the case in almost every part of the world except for America today. You get on a street corner and start preaching in Europe today, you may run the risk of being beaten. Look, we have missionaries. We can't even put their prayer list, their prayer car, a letter on, the, on Facebook because they're afraid that somebody in that country will see it, identify them as missionaries, and persecute them or send them back home. John 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Listen, all I'm saying is in America... We only know this much about what it means to be hated for our faith. You see, you don't understand. i got family that can't stand me. You know this much about it. So do I. I don't know nothing about that. But we've lived in this little bubble protected by our Constitution and Bill of Rights. God help us to truly allow ourselves to be conformed to the image of Christ. Speak the words of life. To be bold with our witness. While we have these freedoms, may we not be silenced. Because there'll come a day, potentially, impossible, possibly, that we won't have those freedoms. And we will still be equally required to be bold and proclaim the truth. Enjoy this freedom. Make best use of it. May we not waste these opportunities that we now have at our hands and our disposal. Let us be a light in a dark world, yes. But be vocal and bold with this truth we now possess. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity that we have to be in America Lord, so often we take for granted the freedoms that we have. 
We don't appreciate them as we ought to because somehow we believe that everybody has what we have. But Lord, that's not true at all. It's not even close. And Father, when your word speaks of those being persecuted who have lived godly in Christ Jesus, it's talking to the, the, the billions of people, over six billion people, that do not live in America as well. Father, help us to be grateful for this wonderful freedom and the light affliction that we experience. May we not allow it to tie our tongue or cause us to hold our peace. But may we proclaim the Word of God boldly and live for You without apology. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As the music